Welcome to the Rise Inside podcast, hosted by Justin Starbird and powered by Rise Robotics. Listen as host Justin talks to experts from the Rise team about topics relating to mechanical engineering, industrial design, commercialization, and innovation. True collaborations work when ideas are integrated at inception to solve significant problems. Rise Inside brings together how the team continues to work with great folks to commercialize ideas. You're listening to the Rise Inside podcast. Here is your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back to Rise Inside. My name is Justin Starbird, and today I am fortunate enough to have Tomas Sepp, Vice President of Engineering, and Ken Gray, Vice President of Business Development, with me this morning. Guys, welcome. Thanks for having us. Justin, great to be here. You know, I always exciting to talk to both of you um, it, for different reasons. Every time we speak, I learn something new. Uh, and, you know, Tomas, uh, it's been so cool to hear from the rest of the team, you know, about your involvement and, and how you got started. But I'd love to hear from you um, a little bit about uh, yourself and, and your background. So, um Yes, my, my background is mechanical engineering at MIT. Um, I took a few classes together with Blake. We're kind of acquaintances during undergrad. Uh, and uh, right after undergrad, I, I went over to Vecna Technologies, which is also in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, they've since moved. This was 10 plus years ago. But um, we did a lot of uh, small-scale hydraulics work there. Um, and that was really interesting and everything. Um, uh, but upon reconnecting with Blake after graduation and uh, meeting Aaron, actually uh, separately through uh, mutual friends, also through MIT uh, connections, um, kind of became... Uh, very, very interested in in this idea of what uh, Rise Robotics would eventually become. I suppose <laughs> it wasn't called Rise at the time, right? Um, well, I didn't but, know that you were classmates with with Blake. Um, I knew that you had met uh, early on, but I didn't realize you guys were classmates too. Yeah, there's there's a handful of classes that we were all in the same class together with. No, like no, like big uh, group project classes where we like we collaborated closely, uh, more like lecture classes. So yeah. Oh, so like one of a hundred. I, 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 yeah. 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 Well, cool. What? Yeah. So how? Um, just, so just for if I could, just for yeah. context for those who are unaware, Blake and Aaron that, that Tomas is referring to. Blake Sessions is our chief technical officer and MIT grad, and Aaron Acosta is uh, Rise Robotics CEO, and these are Forbes 30 under 30 quality people. So just, again, I just wanted to establish that context. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for that. And, you know, uh, Tomas, what was it that Blake shared with you that, you know, started to, to get you moving um, and get you excited about what they were working on? Yeah, I I actually remember it very viscerally. Um, viscerally, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I do. Like I I know exactly where I was in my apartment in Cambridge at the time when we we're uh, talking over some beers and um, just the idea of a 
exosuit that you could wear that was comfortable, that, uh, you know, had lots of energy storage potential in it. So the, the, the words that we often describe it, it is like a trampoline suit. So you, you just jump, you can jump bigger, you can keep jumping higher and higher and higher, uh, or in this case, running faster, um, that type of thing with, with a, a suit, uh, you know, mostly talking about just the leg, like pants, uh, quote unquote, pants portion. Um, and a little known fact about Tomas Sepp is that there's a never a trampoline that you can't go jump on, right? Oh yeah, you heard that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, very, very athletic. Um, uh, into a lot of like the extreme sports. Uh, so we we'd often go uh, skiing and kiteboarding uh, together. Mm-hmm. More so, more so in the earlier days. Uh, we're trying to get back into it, but we we become much much too busy. Well, talk a little bit about that initial vision that you had, yeah. uh, because uh, because that sounds uh, really exciting as well. I mean, you know, it, it, it's uh, it, what do they say? If you follow your passion, you never work a day in your life. And and it seems yeah. that uh, certainly uh, all four of the founders, um, uh, you know, have have certainly you know taken that to heart. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that that um, that idea, that that fun aspect of it, the playful, like working on something that I myself would want to use. Uh, we were all doing it for that. Um, and then the other side of that is also, you know, we actually we actually do love engineering, and the the technical problems and the challenges that need to be solved to really make this into a reality. Uh, were also super exciting to us. So in the early days, we were working with um, fiberglass springs, which are very, a very, very energy dense uh, form of spring in terms of their, their uh, mass density and how much energy they can store per unit mass. Uh, so an ideal material, if we want to store as much possible energy literally on a person as possible mm-hmm. so you want you want a lightweight like as un- unobtrusive as possible exoskeleton uh you want the lightest possible energy storage um material or medium as well uh so we were we were optimizing and and working with these fiberglass springs to basically compact what would be a very large leaf spring mm-hmm. in, in a more typical way of using the material into this very dense, um, we called, we have a very, a few different names for it. Um, but there was the fiber block or, and also the flight source spring, uh, flight source was the first name, I think. Yep. Um, there must be some that, video there, there. I think there's some video. Is there oh, some yeah. video out there of flight source? I think, I think it's, uh, yeah, I can, I, I could, I could pull some, I could dig some up that yeah. I have. Um, in the, we in also the future, have... it, in the future on the website, we'll put some of that, uh, that cool video up of, uh, about around flight source and some of the other really cool designs that flowed from, um, 
from rise in the first eight, nine, ten years of the business. Yeah, there's a lot of them actually. We can actually make more video too of the flight source. There's three working ones in the lab um, in a uh, in a springboard. So that's that's the next thing we we did to to demonstrate the spring technology we're working on. This is one component, one small piece of the exoskeleton puzzle mm-hmm. um, uh, among many others. But um, at one point we put those, the spring portion into a, a spring board. Yep. And so, you know, initially there was a vision to take that commercial uh, and of course the, the market for that, you know, it wasn't non-existent, but you'd have to kind of create it. But that was your first opportunity to really kind of look through the commercial process, no? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, There's more of a, I guess there, there's one way of saying it. We, working in the exoskeleton and not just, not just like the exoskeleton space where there's a, a market for um, medical or, or like uh, paraplegics. Um, and then there's also military. Uh, we were largely not focused on any of those. We were focused on a market that didn't quite exist yet, which was like the exosuit, like fun market. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like, you know, you can, you can, you maybe make some analogous uh, analogies to some kids' toys that are out there, but we really wanted something that was much higher performance than that. Sure. Um, and then the springboard, there's more, there's definitely a market for springboards in some sense. Uh, it's a gymnastics thing, but again, uh, not, not, a, it, it's more, it's like a, a toy market. Um, I was going to say, putting the springboard in the Olympics, I mean, that would change some scores at the end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they, they have the, the, the vault. Yeah. Um, has the springboard on it. No, I mean, your technology, yeah. putting that yeah. in there. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and seeing them, you know, they'd fly right over the, the, the saw, was it the sawhorse, right? So, well, well yeah. so what made, the, you know, this vision clearly, um, you know, it was initially going down one one path and in in a certain direction. Um, you've made a couple of pivots though over the years. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the the early pivots. Yeah, so that that actually brings us that question brings us really well into like a kind of chronological order of <laughs> our first like biggest largest pivot was definitely from working with the fiberglass springs to electric linear actuators so powered actuation as opposed to passive energy storage and release um that pivot was that was a pretty that was a very dramatic pivot i would still say that's the the most the biggest pivot we've ever had over the the 10-year history um, and was that and the something reason, that the four of you were in complete agreement with, or was that something that it was, you know, was, uh, so was it any actually, challenges? Kyle hadn't joined yet at that okay. point. Uh, so this is in 2013, the summer of 2013. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, that was, that was, it was a difficult pivot, but you know, it was very small team. It was just me, Blake, Aaron, and we had, uh, I think we had like two or three interns at the time during that summer. And it was difficult in one sense, but relieving and easy in the other, which is why we knew that it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we were having we were having a lot of issues with uh, finding market traction on on the spring, and I, I kind of alluded to, you know, the market didn't exist in the way we wanted it to. Uh, there, there's some like adjacent markets that you could try to like put it into but it's not really what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to. So, um, but we, we do, we were still driven and we're still very much are in terms of the, the exoskeleton and like, you know, very high performance, lightweight machines that you could wear. Uh, and that's where, you know, a big, a big transition to the powered actuator uh, space uh, happened sure um, and we kind of looked at things and we're like well if we were to make a powered exoskeleton what would that look like what kind of actuators would we use what what motors would we use mm-hmm. and we didn't want to use any of the stuff that's out there um, I mean I know from my experience from hydraulics that you can't make a lightweight hydraulic system. Right. So, <laughs> so you're not going to do that. Um, right. So we had, we had no desire to do that. Um, air power and pneumatics, that might be a little lighter. Um, and the reason I bring out those two as potential options first is the power. Sure. Like hydraulics have a lot of power and so do uh, pneumatics. Um, pneumatics have a lot of other problems with control and positional, like, you know, you don't have that, you don't have any fine control, even worse than hydraulics. Uh, and then beyond that, there's not much uh, else that uh, can qualify as like a powerful type. You know, there's powerful motors, but you always need to put big, heavy gearboxes on them. Right. It becomes something you don't want to wear. Uh, so that that wearable aspect and, and the, the very root of the company forming in the first place of wearable technology, wearable exosuits, um, that's what drove us to really try to develop a different type of actuator entirely. So where were the opportunities? So as you're talking about, like, uh, you know, going to lighter, faster, you know, materials, trying to, well, you're also trying to solve a problem um, in a way that hasn't been done before, right? So if, if you're yeah. eliminating, you know, motors, you're eliminating pneumatics, you're eliminating hydraulics, now all of a sudden you, you still want to get the same results, you know, where were the opportunities you saw there? Um, so... We saw, so we started off small. Um, we were 3D printing a lot of different geometries, still trying to figure out what is this design or actuator that we're looking at. Um, and we, we started off small. We were 
We were looking at um, things like FIRST Robotics, um, you know, something that, uh, an actuator that's cost-effective, lightweight, and powerful mm-hmm. uh, would be extremely valuable to um, a FIRST Robotics team, or, or really like the next level of that is any engineering team that is building you know, something that needs to move and needs higher power. And the reason we started with like first robotics and we worked with a, a local high school here in the Cambridge area as well to do some uh, projects with them mm-hmm. um, uh, just to see how they could be used and, and learn from that, from like a, actually being, getting, getting the quote unquote users or other people other than ourselves yeah. to try to do something with them. Um, and, and then one of the discoveries you made or in Blake made, what was that like, you know, in terms of, um, you know, changing the game for, for, you know, the design um, with the, you know, ultimately settled on, you know, a belt driven, um, yeah. you know, uh, apparatus what you know what led to that and and what did that do for you guys yeah so over the over the years we went through a bunch of different iterations um the main the main like common thread among all of them uh pun intended is that we're dealing with uh, tensile flexible tensile elements uh so um, high performance, um, Aramid, Kevlar, uh, Dyneema, uh, and then eventually going up and finding these flat belts that had been developed uh, kind of at the turn of the, the 2000s, um, probably before that, but they just, they, they began to be really used in industry, especially the elevator industry in the early 2000s mm-hmm. uh, and these thing these belts they're they're polyurethane belts that are uh, steel wire rope uh, reinforced um, very similar to a timing belt except for no teeth at all and uh, you know for that reason uh, also very much higher performance than timing belts as well sure and so we found this like ultimate tensile element uh, that we began saying like, this, this is it. If we're going to make something super high power, we're going to be doing it with this. And so we made some prototypes of actuators with it. But more importantly, uh, especially for uh, the company and how we're positioned now with, with our patents and everything, we invested a lot of time and energy into just testing those belts. So fully understanding them, um, how much load can they do? How many cycles can they do it for? Mm -hmm. Um, And the key thing here is uh, a belt will wear ever so slightly every time it bends on and off of a pulley. So just those internal frictions uh, happening inside the wire ropes. Um, it's gonna it's gonna have a finite lifetime, um, given a certain load and a certain pulley diameter, which basically mm-hmm. defines like how much 
how much stresses, internal stresses and internal frictions are happening. Uh, so we, we made, we designed our own custom belt tester and we had like a, the UL should be calling you guys, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had a sampling of, of pulleys made all different pulley sizes, um, all of that. And this, this discovery that you're asking about is really, you know, just a result of doing the testing and asking the question, what is happening here? Um, what we ended up finding, we were testing twisted sections of belt because uh, we want to, we again, driven by how small can we make this? How lightweight can we make it? How compact can we make a powerful actuator? Mm -hmm. um, so in order to do, to, to achieve some of those metrics in the best, in, in like kind of the, the best way possible, uh, we'd want to put twists in these belts. We wanna make the pulley diameters as small as possible. Uh, so we're testing all these different things and the twisting is really the key. When we were testing the twisting, we started to test very, very aggressive twist ratios. Basically how, how long of a belt can you twist at, for a 90 degree twist in the belt if you need to change the axis of where the next pulley is going to be routed to. Um, how close can you make those two pulleys that are 90 degrees apart on axis? Uh, and how long will the belt last if you do it? Mm -hmm. um, and what we, and, and you know, from all the industry experts, all, all of the, the literature on anything, any of these belts, any, any belts at all really, will say you can't do it. You can't, don't twist a belt and especially don't twist a belt uh, over a, a very small distance um, because you end up stressing the belt and it, it ends up yep. not lasting as long for, you know. But what we found when we did this was the belts lasted much, much longer than they should have. And so just realizing that and continuing to pull on that thread and ask the questions like, why is this? What's happening? Yep. Um, what did that uh, do for the that team? Kind of, like, what, what is it, you know, what, how exciting was that? Or, or was it an aha moment or is it something like over, it happened over a couple of weeks or a couple of months? Um, there was definitely an aha moment. Um, uh, I think that probably came from when, when Blake went to uh, the pen and the paper and tried to back out what is actually happening, the, the mathematics of it. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also a big buildup leading up to that where, you know, the tester is still going and the belt hasn't broken uh, after day, you know, five, day six, day seven. We're in the second week now and the same section of belt with the same twist, with the very aggressive twist ratio, you know, it, it's like, this should fail tonight. Like when we keep it running overnight, like, uh, you know, for multiple, multiple days in a row. So there's like this buildup of like, is someone playing a trick on this? Like, <laughs> is somebody coming happening? back at night? Right. Yeah. Is someone replacing this <laughs> with a new belt every night? <laughs> 
So now uh, you don't trust so each other. So we need like a, yeah. a game cam on there. Like, hey, this is what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I mean, to answer your question, I'm laughing about it. And it was very exciting. I bet. I um, bet. And then, and then even more so exciting, like over, you know, the month timeline when we, you know, filed patents on it and realized that this is a very fundamental uh, patent and defensible, like, uh, position uh, at a, a very at a very root base level uh, that can apply to so many things. Absolutely. Um, so that that added a lot of value uh, to the company, and you know, you know, has it has definitely contributed in its own way over the years to to you know raising various rounds of funding and such. And so where did you see, you know, I mean, I know where we are today, but, you know, at that time, you know, you were kind of uh, drawing on your hydraulic background too, right? And saying, um, hey, there's a, there's a chance that this could be really useful in, in certain industries. Right. Yeah. So definitely keeping, keeping our, our ear to like what's going on at Boston Dynamics, um, you know, the, the robotics, uh, um, humanoid robotics, like the, the big dog, mm-hmm. things like that. There's definitely, and they, they, they've always been, this is before they were bought by Google even. Um, but there, there's always been a lot of excitement around those types of machines, even though there was not quite a market for them even today. Um, there's definitely, there's a lot of excitement on YouTube with the videos that, Boston Dynamics has been able to create mm-hmm. and so you know part of our, our drive there is this could be applicable um, a, a lightweight compact powerful electric linear actuator that could be applicable to um, machines like this that uh, robotics and, and really even enable a market to start to form around machines like that uh, if you really could make uh, a, a lower cost way of high power actuation. Well, and talk a little bit about what that's doing today. Like talk about, a little, you know, your, your new partnership with uh, Anthony Liftgates and, and how all of this work has come into, you know, your first, your first opportunity to commercialize. Yeah. So we, um, we went and, we realized that these, the, you know, from a, this is actually from a, an early, pretty early on with these flat belts. And the reason we were testing them so vigorously is we realized that they have the, the performance capability to uh, displace a, a large variety of actuators, mm-hmm. including hydraulics. So we, we started getting into hydraulic um applications and um started uh, we met um a liftgate company who we we recently announced uh, a partnership with uh anthony liftgates Mm -hmm. um and we have been working over the last two years about to 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 bring the actuator from a more prototype stage into a fully developed and tested product that can go out into the field uh, and live really live for 10 years on the back of a truck. 
So dealing with IP ratings, environmental protection, um, vibration, shock, um, weather, all the, all the things that come with putting anything on the back of a truck, especially in, in cold weather, outside, um, right. rain, snow, salted roads. Uh, so the last, the last two years have more been about um, productizing, uh, doing all the things on top of uh, the fundamentals of, of the, the actuator geometry and technology that we had proven. So what will this partnership do for, you know, both Rise, but also Anthony, how does it help them differentiate themselves in a market where they pioneered, you know, early on, but then, um, uh, you know, now uh, they have some, you know, room in the market to, to gain traction again. Yes. That's, that's exactly what it's doing for them. Um, and, and us as well. Uh, the, the name of the game for both of us is to go and capture more market share mm-hmm. for them. It's uh, differentiate themselves in order to, to, to capture more market share in the rail gate lift gate um, product. And for us, um, we're trying to capture more market share in all hydraulic applications. Yep. Um, this one, this one in particular is a really good, um, beginning, like first application for us, mm-hmm. uh, because, um, like I've mentioned before, um, lightweight, powerful, uh, has been our drivers. Um, the other side of that is the efficiency aspect. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually didn't mention efficiency, but efficiency was always a very, very high priority um, from the beginning. Cause if you're going to wear an actuator going back to the roots of the, the beginnings of the company uh, you want to have the smallest battery possible that you might have to carry around with you. <laughs> <laughs> so from that, per, you know, the energy density and power density also has to include the battery weight. Sure. Uh, so efficiency is a huge thing. And, and that's what the biggest benefit to, to Anthony is. It's that efficiency that allows um, batteries to be smaller on the machine and, you know, really not be used as uh, heavily, not be overused as the batteries currently are mm-hmm. on the hydraulic lift gates. Um, and what that does is it reduces maintenance costs fleets will no longer have to uh, re- preemptively replace batteries on all of their trucks for their lift gates. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, among the maintenance aspects of, of just having no hydraulic leaks anymore, uh, which is a big deal. Absolutely. Um, so that's, you know, the first, first all electric lift gate ever. That's the differentiator. And it, it manifests itself it, from a, a customer value perspective in just total cost of ownership. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, and that's really exciting. A lifetime. 
Yeah. And that's so exciting, you know, especially today, you know, we're sitting in the, in the fall of, you know, 2021 where, uh, you know, you're in Boston, I'm even a little bit further, further North and, you know, heating uh, oil, you know, the, all the different elements are, are scheduled to go up. So, you know, creating an opportunity where you don't have to maintain it is, is a huge benefit or, and potential for huge benefits. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, Oh, go ahead. So we have we have some we have some other partnerships on the horizon that we're working to to do um, different applications, other hydraulic applications, um, where the benefits are uh, similar in many ways, and then you know also. Um, Kind of exaggerating that efficiency aspect. So we're we're demoing a, a fifty thousand pound cylinder uh, very soon in the next few weeks, and uh, that will represent a the sizing of our technology that can go into a container handler. Yeah. Um, so like basically the largest forklifts out there, moving containers around the shipyard, stacking them five six high. Um, and in a machine like that, that's doing such large amounts of work, um, picking up large weights and, and bringing and lowering them, um, the total cost of ownership just from an energy usage side, like you said, gas prices, oil prices are scheduled to go up, um, doing, uh, doing the lifting with an actuator that uses uh, less than half the energy to raise something and then recovers uh, 75% of that energy when it's lowering it back down and recharges the battery. That's a game changer for total cost of ownership and just energy costs um, compared to a diesel machine. Yep. That is so exciting uh, to, to hear about it. And so exciting to see, you know, the, the growth, the, um, the effects that a, a pivot can have on a business and, you know, how, you know, the vision, you, you just brought it all the way back, you know, to the, to the exosuit, um, in, in that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, being able to reduce weight, improve efficiency and make things stronger is, is really at the end of the day, what you're really trying to do. So that's, that's really exciting. Are there any other um, opportunities you see out there or, you know, uh, things that your passion, you know, continues to get you up in the morning for? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I get up in the morning every day uh, to grow the team now and build the company. So my, my job has certainly transitioned um, a little bit away from the, the, the mechanic, the real, like, CAD oriented or like the, you know, that the detailed design of the mechanical engineering and more to, you know, all of the other hard things uh, that go along with having a successful startup. Um, uh, so, I, I mean, I would say the next few years of RISE are, are more about executing and, and figuring out the exact design that uh, of our actuator that will scale into as many applications as possible, mm -hmm. the same design. 
um, and we're, we're positioning ourselves and we have been positioning ourselves as best as possible to answer those questions um, with, uh, with Ken, who, who had been here earlier, VP of Business Development. Um, he's reached out to hundreds of different uh, OEM companies mm-hmm. and parties interested in getting rid of their hydraulic machines. Um, so we've been developing basically like a database of what are all these applications, what do they look like, what are the exact requirements, um, so that we can, you know, jump uh, leapfrog over our first application and for the next for the next product for the next or probably it'll be a group of of different actuator sizes. Uh, that we develop and test and bring to a level that engineers can buy them uh, and use them in their machines. Mm-hmm. Um, we're well positioned to pick the the highest impact design that will affect the most amount of applications <laughs> and replace, you know, you know, basically try to grow the company in a scalable way. Yeah. That's, so, um, that's, that, pretty that's awesome. super exciting. That's super exciting to get to that point. Yeah. Um, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm so happy to be a fly in the wall and, and, um, you know, help get the story out and, and, um, and hear not just about how it came to be and then what you've done, but also where we're going. Um, I think, uh, I think that's a lot of fun. Well, Tomas, thank you so much for joining me today. Ken Gray, um, thank you for, for joining me as well. I appreciate it guys until next time. You've been listening to the rise inside podcast presented by rise robotics. On behalf of our guest today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. Please share your feedback on our LinkedIn page, linkedin.com slash company slash rise dash robotics.